she didn't want her own Facebook because she was like, I want my own privacy, but I want to be able to stalk like our cousins and stuff. And I was like, okay, sure. And I like gave her like my. Do you share a lot with your mom? Oh, uh, we did more so when I was younger. Yeah. Uh, not as much now as like because I'm in my thirties. Like it seems mm-hmm. like we needed like a like a divide. A yeah, but bit. not like a separate Facebook accounts kind of divide. I have brought it up, and she does not want her own Facebook. She's like. No, this is working for me, and I don't have, like, the heart to be like, this isn't working for me. The fact that family members follow me on social media has definitely colored my social media presence. Like, not that I was going to be super filthy or anything on there, but I I, I watch what I say more, I think. Well, I have, because of, like, the show, because of Awkward Sex, I've had a few family members, like, defriend me. Because oh. they're like, because they're like uh, Southern Baptist, so they're oh. like, I'm not cool with this. Like, what you do? Yeah. So there's that. Because I was kind of like, fuck it. If you're gonna be my Facebook friend, like, this is it. Yeah. I also like haven't seen most of my family, like not not including immediate, but like cousins and aunts and uncles and like grandmothers, like in literal years. Did you grow up Southern Baptist? No, we grew up Catholic, but I did okay. grow up in the South. Okay, Southern Catholic. That's still yeah strict ish, right? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And I went to Catholic school. And it was like my dad converted to Catholicism to get married in the Catholic church for my mom. Mm-hmm. So there's both. So there's like Southern Baptist and there's Catholicism. Mm, best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. And then it wasn't that big of a deal when I was younger. But now they've gotten older. Yeah. Religions like come back into their lives a little bit more in a way that's completely opposite to mine because I'm they, very like, they I don't being believe in God. Extended family or parents as well? Parents as well. Extended family has always been very Southern Baptist, but my parents now are more religious than they used to be. Mm-hmm. So that's that's fun because yeah. I don't believe in it. What happened to you? <laughs> oh, I just went to Catholic school. Like, okay. that's it. They Because Catholic school is just, yeah. especially for women, it's just very like, um, you're a whore. And everything you do is wrong. And you're like, fuck it, I'm a whore. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> Let's okay, do this. All right. It doesn't well, sound bad. Yeah. Mary Magdalene got like, you know, a main spot sure. in the New Testament. Yeah. So, you know, obviously it works out for some of the whores. When did you when did you break from that? Um, I think I officially broke when I'll change her name, but sister mm. <laughs> uh oh no, I only want to say her name. Sister it's Mary. Probably Mary or... it's, it actually isn't, but um, okay. we'll call her Sister Mary. I think you gave away her identity by saying it wasn't Sister Mary. She's the only nun <laughs> not named that. Well, there's only a few nuns at that school, too, so I don't know if they can narrow it down. But um, she told us – well, she told me specifically – she was telling us that animals don't have souls. And mm. I was like, I'm sorry, what? Yeah. And I was like, my dog, like when my dog dies, like what's going to happen? And there, and she was like, he's going to hell because he doesn't have a soul. And I was like, and I'm out. Yeah. Like no more Catholicism for You're me. like, I've seen a series of movies that tells me that my dog is going somewhere yeah. else. All dogs go to heaven. All dogs go to heaven too. Like they exist. Um, And that was it. I was like, that's yeah. ludicrous. And like the height of hubris to me to that only humans have souls. How old were you at the time? I was 11. Okay. And yeah. that was it for you. That was basically it. Yeah. So I was you like, had to keep doing Catholic school for a while? Until eighth grade. And then I went to a public school after that. But the Catholic school was a graduating class of um, 14 kids. Mm-hmm. And then like my high school was a graduating class of like 600 kids. So it was this huge culture shock of just like a little fish in this big sea where I was used to being like a big fish in like a little tiny pond. So I didn't do well in high school. It was very awkward. And that's kind of it for high school. It was like they both had their own yeah. like things. You were used to having the attention or at least like if you were yeah. having issues with school. 
the teachers knew. Oh, it's yeah. easier to sort of like fall into obscurity when there's more people. Oh, totally. And there was also only two boys uh, in Catholic school. And so all of a sudden having a shit ton of boys was like a new like okay. thing. And turns out I'm very obsessive. Like with my crushes, I found out in high school. Mm. Uh, which is very embarrassing to admit. And just, yeah, you just like had to learn how to be a new, not new type of person, but we like, but to learn like, oh, you are a weird person in both of these worlds, but this world is more relevant because this is what like real life is more like, mm-hmm. like public high school, if that makes sense. What do you mean by weird? Like you just didn't fit in? Yeah. Yeah. I was always just awkward and weird, like yeah. in both settings. It's funny to hear that you still like are em- embarrassed to talk about these like crushes in high school given oh yeah given what you do now yeah i mean you still have a sense of shame around these things i guess i do i guess i never really thought about it because i don't think i think i'm embarrassed because most of these crushes like definitely to this day like do not know i exist and to me that's kind of mortifying in a way like there were twins and i remember being like following them around at homecoming and they like for sure did not know who i was and i was like this is gonna happen they are going to go dance with me and then we'll go on a date Mm -hmm. and that did not happen and i'm pretty sure they do not know who i am like things like that like little things like that you watch too many romantic comedies oh so many obsessed with like 16 candles which fun fact i watched it like two months ago it does not hold up is that the one with long duck dong in it Mm -hmm. yeah so it's rapey and racist and it's it's so racist and it's so rapey there is one scene where the main dude jake ryan is basically like uh yeah my hot girlfriend is passed out my room Mm -hmm. i could do whatever i want to her right now but i'm not interested in her anymore so you can take her in this car and basically rape her and date rape her, which is what happens. Like, she gets date raped. It is crazy to go back and look at a movie from 20 or 30 years ago and realize that everyone was cool and on board with that. Yeah. Well, did you see Joe Biden's... Um, I've seen a lot of Joe Biden lately. Did you see his thing that he released uh, about his past? He, wrote, he like, released a little video oh. on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was very hands-on. I know it was retweeted by our president. Fuck, of course it was. Well, he it starts with social norms have changed. Yeah. And it was like, that's not yeah. you completely missed it straight out the gate. Like you're gonna completely bypass the Me Too movement when it's convenient for you. He probably could have just apologized and people would have moved on relatively quickly, oh, right? A hundred percent. Like I don't know if you read Dan Harmon's apology. So he was awful to a female writer. Um, I think on Rick and Morty. It was one of his shows. And she was like, you harassed me. You did all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. Like, it was really bad. And, like, when it happened, he denied it, et cetera. I think she ultimately quit. But she called him out when Me Too movement happened, and, and he responded and apologized. And he did it the right way, which is, you're right. I did all of these things. I used my power to try to get to you, and it ultimately did not work. And this is why this is fucked up. Yeah. And if so many men... And anyone who's um has like abused people in the past would understand like that's it's not just apologizing, it's recognizing that you understand what you did wrong. Because that's the first way to move forward, to be like, you know what, I did fuck up. This is how I fucked up. Because if we really want people to redeem themselves, like this is how is first they have to admit that there was a problem or there is a problem, and then we can go from there. Probably the issue with Biden at this point is more who he's surrounding himself with, that people aren't just like Joe. Who else is he surrounding himself with besides Stacey Abrams? Well, I know he's not officially running yet, but like, you know, who'd be running his campaign or whatever. They're not just like, hey, bud, mm. this isn't this is not how you apologize. Oh, for I it. see. Like, like who... I realize you're like older and maybe you don't quite get it. But like you'd think that he'd have handlers right now who 
know what's going on. Yeah, it's probably um, it's probably a lot of dudes because yeah. if, if it was a female campaign manager, she would have caught that immediately. That like, nope, this yeah. is not going to fly yeah. at all. Yeah, if you got retweeted by the Trump, you're fucked. I feel like if anybody can be sort of bastion of progressive societal norms, it's probably Donald Trump, right? Of course. <laughs> if, anyone's, if anyone's in a good spot to call out Joe Biden for past behavior, it's probably our president. We learned anything since what, 2015? Is that when he really like hit his stride uh, right before the presidential election? Yeah, it sounds about right. Yeah, when the when the tape came out. Yeah, mm-hmm. that might have been 2016, though. Dark days. Obviously, this was a big question in the lead up to Trump is like how it'll affect comedy, things like that, blah, blah, blah. But everyone was just shell-shocked for a little while. Oh, yeah. Do you feel like that the state of the world has bled into what you do? Not really. I have to admit, no. Because what's so weird about my show, what's so weird about Awkward Sex in the City is like when I started it in 2013... I didn't think it was like that progressive of a thing. Mm -hmm. And then when I started it, people were like, this is really fucking progressive. Because I was just kind of in a way a world that I was surrounded by. Because even though my mom is Catholic and my dad is Catholic, they're very sex positive. Like they were very open about sex and sexuality in a lot of ways. So I was used to talking about sex openly with friends and, and close people in my life. So when I started doing the show and giving a platform for people to tell their own sex stories, it was like mind blowing to me that people were like, no, this is progressive. This is like groundbreaking. This is huge. So when 2016 happened, it was still just the same thing. It was still just like, this is just huge that people are getting this platform. But as I grew and evolved, it was just, I became more aware of making sure there were more like different types of stories and like different types of like perspectives on the stage and getting that type of stuff out there. But other than uh, the first year, I would um, donate to Planned Parenthood, like a percentage, usually about 10% from the show. That was it. That was the only real difference from the show. Like it's still sex will always be sex in a sex driven country. Do you know what I mean? Like sex sells no matter who's president, no matter what the politics are right now. Me too or no me too, sex is sex and will always sell when that's the type of culture we're given 24-7. But what you're doing isn't necessarily like sexy on the face of it, right? I mean, it has the word awkward in the title. Yeah. So when you say sex sells, I mean, does it does that apply when it's people telling like really awkward and uncomfortable stories? A hundred percent because the audience that come want to feel better about their sex lives. Because that's mm. why the show is so inclusive. It's because everyone's had awkward sex, but yeah. never had a way or like the vocabulary to explain what happened to them. Hmm. So that's why like sex sells in that situation yeah. because they're like, oh, I want I want to be seen in a different way. That's not that's not how I'm seen like on the movies or the TV shows when then there's sex or like sexy like dialogue or anything like that. That's what I mean when like sex sells. Like sex will always be yeah. something that people are like, hmm. Let me let me just go check this out real quick, even if awkward's in front of it, like, or even if this is a comedy show. Like, what does that mean? Was it something that you were doing in in stand up on stage prior to the show? I mean, were you telling your own own stories in that way? It was actually my first show. Oh, besides like improv graduation yeah. shows, like that was my first one. Because I was such a baby, I was such a comedy baby, and yeah. I had one teacher that was like, "You should just make your own show." You had just moved out here. Yeah, it had been about a year. Oh, I guess about two years. I I was I came in 2011. And the show premiered in 2013. Okay, so you were doing what, like the UCB thing for a while? I went with the pit. Okay. I was too intimidated yeah, by yeah. UCB, so that's I was fair. like, let's do UCB Light. It's a different world. I'll yeah. say that. I feel like that's. I feel safe saying that on a podcast. You moved to New York to do comedy. 
Yes. Mm -hmm. How did you actually get started doing comedy? Is this your full-time gig at this point? No, my okay. my day job is Trader Joe's. Yeah, I worked at Trader Joe's. Oh, once. shut up! Yeah, yeah. Which one? It was in California. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, no, they're fuck like so. Today I work six a.m. to two p.m. They're fucking great because I also yeah. tour and they just let me take off as much time as I need to go do comedy. It's kind of why I've stayed with them for so long because mm -hmm. there've been opportunities to like go into like a legit day job while doing comedy, and I've been like, no, like you only get like two weeks vacation there like i i have right now my time off i think i have like up to like two months requested off and it's all been approved in the next like four months did you move here with an exit strategy i mean did you move here with a plan b no because this is always you know when you're just like well this is just gonna work i don't know if i've ever felt that way oh about... okay <laughs> but i'm just i'm an incredibly pessimistic person so oh i'm a worst case scenario you're willing to starve to death if it didn't yeah <laughs> yeah i guess i yeah i guess i just yeah. never saw anything uh, any other thing so i was like no this is just gonna work I mean, Journalism seems like a good thing to fall back on, or Ooh, I no. mean, I know it's a rough world, but freelancing is really hard. I sure. was for uh, a few years, not a few years, a few years ago. I was w uh, freelancing with Red Book Magazine for sex and like, mm -hmm. uh, like lo love and relationship, and then they had like a changing of the guards, and they were like, all right, "You're on a list. We'll get back to you." <laughs> you're on a list. Yeah, there's all. You're always on bad when you're on a list. You're always on some fucking list yeah. when you're freelancing, and you're like, "Well, can that list like get me money? Like, uh, yeah. get me shit?" And then last summer they were like, "Oh, hey, we're gonna bring you back for." like three to four articles a week and we're upping the pay and I was like this is fucking awesome this is yeah. perfect and then it w they went silent and I was like what's up and they're like oh don't worry blah 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 so they do this for months they're like it's gonna happen we're just like figuring out the rules and I was like hey I just need to know this is like my livelihood and they were like I don't know if you saw but we had just announced that the print magazine is going down that happened to me many times yeah so then it was just gone it was yeah. just, and that's why I was like I can't do freelancing anymore because doing comedy already is so hard and like so mentally taxing that it's another reason why I love Trader Joe's because you don't have to think at all they make it so easy for you you come in every hour they tell you what you're gonna do you're either on a register or you're literally putting up groceries like you're putting up like the milk or the the lettuce and like that's your life or you walk around the store helping people with questions like you don't have to think and with writing or like even when I was like a babysitter you had to think so much it was so emotionally taxing that I wasn't like able to do the producing or the touring or the booking or like the tour managing as much or the writing so the moment I started working for Trader Joe's, the show and like the tour got like a thousand times better. And it's like a hundred percent correlated. Like there's no way it's not. Did you look for something that was comedy or entertainment adjacent as far as booking, like something in that world? For a second, I did. And then I realized like, cause, um, cause like, so I also have a business because mm. I pay my comedians. Like if you do the show in New York City, you get paid. If you're part of the ensemble, you get a percentage. And so I have a company and then I, it's like a, basically a production company. I realized that it takes so much to run like the PR and the booking and reaching out to new venues and just even just keeping the groups and the comedians happy. It took too much time that I was like, if I really want to do this, I can't have a job where I have to think. I just need a job where I can clock in, clock out and like get a paycheck every week. Like that's kind of what worked best for me. I know that people that do it with like an actual job people that actually are in, in publishing like selena kopak mm -hmm. or like you know their office managers or they're this or that but like i just couldn't handle it i was like nope i have yeah. to take a step back and just 
this. I recently interviewed an English gentleman for the show, and apparently they don't have the phrase uh, how the sausage gets made there. <laughs> it was like, I said that to him, and he just gave me like the weirdest look. Because it, it's a bizarre phrase. But it is. I, that, I think, ends up being the problem for a lot of people, is finding a job in that world and realizing how relentlessly shitty it can be. <laughs> That's a perfectly good way to ruin your passion, is to be on that side yeah you have to be a little selfish about it like if this is what you want like if comedy is what you want you really have to be able to set personal and professional boundaries Mm. and if you don't you just get swallowed and like eaten up alive which i just i have in the past and it wasn't pretty and it wasn't fun and i was like like literally therapy started like two months later after like you hit like a weird like rock bottom with comedy and like your day job shit what was rock bottom for you rock bottom was i got shit face at my own ox sex fest because no one showed up and i had also lost a producing gig that i should have known was never coming on the same day and i it was like the first time ever in like how many years old i was that i was like maybe i can't do comedy and it just hit me And I started drinking red wine, cheap house red wine, glass after glass. And the festival was like three shows each night. And so I was just fucking like obliterated by the end of it. I like end up making fun of one of my own comedians after their set. It's funny, though, that that's rock bottom comedy. That's not necessarily rock bottom drinking. Like it was. Oh, I did have a friend being like, maybe you have a drinking problem. (laughs) They're like, there's definitely your rock bottom. It's something but you know, let's let's figure out which aspect of it. It legit like there was a year that I was like, am I an alcoholic? And so I started therapy and worked on it with that. And then like talked to my boyfriend who had been there for, with me for years at that point, all my best friends, all my family, and I'm like, do I have a problem? Do I have a problem? And they're all like, you had a really bad night. You don't. But there was, like, a, a good moment that I was like, oh, shit. Like, who am I when I drink? Like, what is this? And it turned out it was just, you had a really bad day, yeah. and uh, it's okay. Like, I had to learn how to forgive myself, if that makes sense. How long does it take to sort of get back on the horse at that point? I had to I – was, I was an assistant at that point. And I had to stop doing that because it was another thing where it was just too emotionally and mentally taxing. Like an executive assistant? Oh, no, 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 no. no. Just like an assistant to like a group of people, if okay. that makes sense. Um, it doesn't, but... Yeah, it doesn't. It didn't didn't make sense when I was doing it either. But it sounds like this one moment where you thought, you know, maybe it was over was pretty short-lived. Yeah, it was only like a couple months, probably. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a, that's a reasonable amount of time to... Yeah. Be completely second guessing. What did what did your therapist say? If anyone ever does therapy, find a therapist that's like on your side. Like mm-hmm. even with comedy, she's like, Yeah, no, this she'll be like, This is gonna work out. And I'm like, Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah, therapist. And I cancel on her all the time and she never makes me pay, which is also really cool. Mm-hmm. Find a therapist that won't charge you. Wow. <laughs> therapist that won't charge you. Well like sure. She, she's like, I get that life happens. Yeah. And I'm like, Awesome, cool. I have diarrhea, I can't come in. I think she literally was just like what would you do if you didn't do comedy? And I was like, I don't know. And then she yeah. was like, well, it sounds like you just need to keep doing it then. And I was like, oh, okay. That's kind of what it comes down to yeah. just generally is that you couldn't possibly see yourself not doing this. When I decided I wanted to be a writer professionally, that was the advice that I was giving. And then my cousin, who has since gotten into a similar field, I gave him very similar advice too, which is just like, this is this is bad. <laughs> Publishing is is bad and trying to make a living doing it is really really hard and if you can see yourself possibly doing anything else and as bad as publishing is i think comedy is probably in some ways worse i mean i don't know i've heard some horror stories about publishing though as bad as they are there are a lot of like paid gigs there's so much in in comedy of just like 
just doing it and going on stage and just not getting paid. I guess when the days like that, where it is like, like you're like, you're right is bad. When there's days like that, I always like try to remind myself that like, there are so many people that do not know what they want to do and they never will. And to me, that's fucking horrifying that I'd much rather have like, you know, weeks of bombing on stage and not making any money and going into my day job. And like the weirdest is to be recognized at your day job. Mm -hmm. And you're like, yeah, but I'm not a big comedian yet. Like this isn't cool yet. This is like, I'm embarrassed to like ring you up right now. Tell me you're doing research for a part. Mm -hmm. No, like actually this is for a screenplay I'm writing. I think that's just kind of what gets me through it. It's just like, I was lucky enough to be given the type of personality that will keep going. And that just had a dream for a very young age that just like, this is it. Even if it doesn't work out, to still be able to be like, yeah, I fucking like gave it my all. Like that's enough for me. Uh, weed pen and giving it my all is sure. like, all I need at the yeah. end of the day. I definitely still second guess things. I would definitely be able to carve out a living and have been like reasonably successful doing it. But just just wondering if, if you're still on the right path. Yeah. And I don't think that's – I would think it's weird if – we weren't second guessing ourselves because I think there's just, you know, there's so many narratives thrown at us like left and right, even just from like our parents or like society in weird ways that like, Oh, we should have hit these milestones at this point. And a lot of that's like capitalism and like things that we won't be able to get because of like the housing crisis back in 2008 and the recession. And it's scary that we don't get stability and security in a lot of ways. Like, you know, I I have a friend that works within not tech, but just like, like online media, things like that, and has worked for multiple platforms that have gone under. So she's been laid off like three or four Mm -hmm. times in the past like four years. And just the idea of like job security, like to me does not exist at this point point and explain that to like maybe your parents they're like no that's that's what we had and it's like no that's what you had but also like did you follow your dreams or did you follow the job security when you were our age type of thing and it's also unhealthy to compare yourself to people who are the reason why you do what you do you know the comedians or the writers or the creative people who came before you like trying comparing yourself to anybody else's path is dangerous yeah i wish we would all just like get in a room and be like do we all solemnly swear to never compare ourselves to each other like ever again and be like, mm-hmm, To cool. our very successful friends. Yeah. Like, <laughs> never again. Got yeah. it. Because, you, I mean, with everything, and I feel like what I'm saying, like, nothing, what I'm saying is not new in any way, but, like, with Instagram and Twitter and all the social medias, like, we're fucked. Everyone seems to be having a much better life than us yeah. when it's not true. I mean, maybe that's just me. Do you feel that way? I'm lucky that I've been able to befriend so many very, like, smart and talented people. But the downside of it is like, you wish all of your friends really well and you wish them all to be successful. But I would be lying if I said sometimes when some people get successful, if I don't harbor a little bit of bitterness somewhere deep in my soul. Oh, fuck yeah. Oh, my God. When, like, pilot season comes out or, like, when people are just getting picked up and this is just comedy related just like people get picked up for like the new things you're just like okay and like it's just i don't i i wish we were just more allowed to be like yeah i'm bitter as fuck right now instead of being like no i'm really happy for you but like it's i think it's i wish we just were more open about our negative feelings so what point did you realize you were on the right track i think i realized i was on the right track when i started making moves that uh people noticed Mm -hmm. like I was when I took the show on tour I was only 24 
And I was really young, and people were like, whoa, that's, you know, you're a nobody, like, why are you doing that? And it was more just because I, I kind of realized real quick that if I wanted to make money, I had to take it on tour, and I had to take it out of, like, I started at the pit, I had to take it out of the pit because you don't get ticket split there, but you could go to all these other venues in New York City and get a ticket split. So I realized that, like, this was going to work because I was I was realizing that I was business savvy. I realized I learned that I could see how to just how to make money off of this. That's how I knew, like, if I can learn how to monetize my own products without having to bring in managers or agents or anything that would take away from my, like, net profit, then I was doing something right. And for having, like, friends and people I didn't even know that well, like, within the comedy community, being, like, aware of that, being like, oh, wow, she's doing this thing that no one does, like, that's pretty ballsy. It's an interesting answer to the question, because I guess I was thinking creatively, but you're, but you've also got this aspect of, like, yeah, I'm, like, good at the business side of things, and I'm savvy on that side as well. Yeah, because I guess for me, the dream, you could be a comedian for the rest of your life, but I want to be a paid comedian. And that was, like, in the dream, too. It's just, like, I want to be paid to do this. And creatively, fuck, I haven't even thought of it creatively. I just have always been good. Like, I don't know. It just <laughs> came really naturally, which is, like, so... You've been good at the comedy part of comedy. Only, only storytelling and stand-up. Improv, yeah. I... It's horrifying how bad I was at yeah, it. Yeah, but improv is terrible. It, yeah. It's such a miserable thing to watch. It's either, like, really awful yeah. or it's really, really good and there's no in-between. I mean, you're one of, like, ten people who can do it well. Or it's 99% of improv. Oh, thank God I haven't seen an improv show in so long yeah. and I'm so glad about that. When you were doing the Red Book thing, I mean, it sounds like you got pegged as, like, the sex person pretty pretty quickly. Yeah. I don't know how I pulled that off. I've noticed that it is something a lot of publications are always looking for. Oh, they always want sex because it goes back to just sex, sell, sex. People are asking about sex. People are asking about relationships because no one's ever taught the same thing. And so a lot of people are like, am I doing this right? You mean about the actual act of sex? The actual act of sex, the act of relationships, opening up, just being vulnerable. And so that's kind of what a lot of the articles were about in a lot of different ways. When the only reference you have is pornography, like that really fucks up people's ideas. Yeah. And like, don't get me wrong. I love, I love porn. Porn is great. It brought porn into my own sex life in different ways. But comparing yourself both biologically and to the actual acts is problematic. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just when you only have that and it's portrayed as just like this animalistic thing in a lot of ways, that's really going to do some damage. And it has done a lot of damage Mm. to people our age, people younger, and people older. The people younger right now have, like, got it. Like, the younger generation, Generation Z, is going to fucking save us. Like, they truly understand. I'm nannying for so many kids, boys, girls. Like, one of the boys that I nanny for, he's 12, and they all know what I do um, when it comes to comedy and, like, what my comedy's about. So he'll come to me all the time about, like, one time he was like, what's the difference between bisexuality and pansexuality? Or things like that. Or, like, what exactly is an open relationship and why does it work? Like, the types These of... These are questions that I have as a grown exactly. adult. Exactly. The fact that this boy is 12 no. and he's secure enough to talk to me, an adult in his life, about it 
and to be aware of like what I do. And he knows like there's like he legitimately knows there's a business of, of what I do. And he actually wants to be a comedian now. Mm. And it's like partly because of me. And that's like adorable. And the parents are OK with you having these conversations. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because I've also backstory. I've been with this family since the boys were four and eight. And now they're 12 and 16 off and on because she's uh, the mom's an actress. Mm-hmm. So I actually like wasn't with them for like the past three years. And then she got another gig. She got a TV series. So I came in for like six months to help them. And so I, I like live in with them. So it's more of like a, I'm this like random aunt that's like mm-hmm. sometimes got to live with them type of thing. And yeah, the first two years I told them nothing about us because you assume when you're working with kids, you can't talk about sex. Yeah, it, it's probably also weird trying to talk about sex with a stranger's children. A hundred percent. But they would ask me like, what did I do in my free time? And like, mm-hmm. what were my hobbies? And I'd be like, I like TV. Like, I just wouldn't tell them the truth because I was afraid it would end up in me being fired. But however, I don't even remember how I told them, but they ultimately were like, this is great. And we love it. I've sent them clips of mm-hmm. like me doing shit. I actually at a show, this isn't the same, but it was the eight or the 12 year old's birthday the night that I was performing and I had the whole audience like sing happy birthday mm. to him and like send it to him. So like they're, yeah, they're very aware. And like, this is like a big part of my life. It was red book. You said, right. I also did stuff for Maxim too, okay. which was weirder. They were looking for an advice columnist. I mean, did you feel like you're in a, a good position to give advice to people? I didn't do advice for red book. I did mm. advice for advice for Brooklyn magazine or not Brooklyn, Brooklyn.com. But they were at the same time. I did not to answer your question. feel like I deserved yeah. to give people advice. I also don't think anyone deserves to give anyone advice advice yeah but i mean like people need advice i don't know who actually like is in good position to to give advice but what was the process so you get you somebody emails you a question Mm -hmm. how do you answer it because like i I would be so concerned about really setting somebody on the wrong track with something very important your advice can't be that bad that it would send someone on the right the wrong track sure because you're right like there is a lot of like like wait to the email like one was this girl had started dating someone after a very long-term relationship and the guy that she was like hooking up with was um house training his cat like like um ben stiller and robert de niro like on the toilet yeah yeah what movie is that meet the parents meet the parents so he was training his cat to do that Mm. and to do that i guess you have to like buy this cat litter tray that you insert into the toilet. I just want to say I'm with you on this story. I really want to see where this is going. Okay. How this circles back around. So so this is just like yeah. this is the email question. My understanding is just like you slowly start like moving the litter box closer to the toilet and then at one point you put the litter box on the toilet. Yeah. No, yeah. So at this point when she's dating him, the litter box is Ooh. in the toilet. And so after they would hook up, you know, most ladies and all ladies should, you know, pee right yeah, after yeah, yeah. to not get UTIs. That's the, good advice. The, oh, yeah. <laughs> and dudes should pee, too. Natalie Wall is not a medical doctor. Uh, I am not a medical doctor, but you can look this up on PlannedParenthood.com. <laughs> this is legit. <laughs> okay, let's get back to the cat on okay, the toilet. Back to the cat. So she would go to the bathroom after they fucked. And the litter box was there. And she, like, didn't know what to do. So she, like, <laughs> tried to move it. And it would just get everywhere. <laughs> And she was like, what do I do? Like, she's like, do I break up with this guy or or like what? Like, what what do I do? And I was just kind of like, well, so yeah. So you look at the email and you're like, what's really happening? And so she wasn't in a long-term relationship. She's jumped into something new. Yeah. This is temporary. The, the litter box won't always be there. But the fact that she was willing to potentially end the relationship because of it. Yeah. It's like saying like, well, yeah. what are you really – 
Are you looking for an out? Mm-hmm. If you want it, it's there. <laughs> if you really like this person, stick it out for the next month or yeah. two. Like, that's what it is. And fucking talk to them. Usually, every fucking email, it's like, talk to yeah. the person. It's literally just communicate with them because we don't know how to communicate. It's so funny. And I don't know how much this is a New York thing, but I feel like I've, I've, I've often been in the opposite position where you will stay in a relationship with somebody because, you know, maybe they have an apartment in Manhattan just for mm. like, you know, you like the person, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like things are going terribly, but maybe things are lasting a little bit longer because of some convenience or maybe I was in a relationship for longer than I should have been because I like this person's <laughs> dogs. <laughs> hypothetically or you break up because they're like in the wrong borough like when i first started dating my boyfriend uh we've been together like four years now but i was in east harlem and he was in like sunset park area so it was like a fucking hour and a half commute on a good day and i was just like and this is gonna go forward like we have to like cohabitate sooner rather than later later which is ultimately what happened and it worked out because like we're happy but it was one of those things that, like, if it wasn't a good relationship, this would have just gone downhill real quick uh, once we, like, lived together. How much do you think Tinder has impacted our ability to have adult relationships? When you talk about breaking up with people over really, like, civi- silly, trivial things, mm-hmm. Tinder seems to be a really big part of that. You know, you realize how many people are out there, and that, and that especially in a place like New York, that it is kind of a numbers game. I, well, speaking of ghosting, so I've actually never gone on an online date because I use Tinder for emotional reasons and then, like, would ghost on people. You use Tinder for emotional reasons? For, like, self-esteem? Yeah. Yeah. I got out of a really bad relationship, and he, like, just fucked me up so hard that I needed to know that I could connect with someone emotionally. And then when I did, I was like, oh, I like this, but I don't like this person. And then I would just ghost. So I did it to, like, probably, like, 20 guys. To go back to your question about Tinder, I think it just depends on the person, where they're at in their lives, because... Now I know a lot of people that are like getting married because of Tinder yeah. or in really good relationships yeah. because of Tinder. But if you're in the wrong mindset like I was where I was like, I'm in this to use people. And I think a lot of times that is like swiping culture gives us this ability to use people in a way that's not healthy way too easily. And it's just like it hits, it becomes a thing like we can just do. It's just like mm-hmm, I can do this while I'm on the bathroom. Because yeah. I'd always Tinder when I was pooping. It was just like yeah. I, I need time to kill. It's like playing Angry Birds. Yeah. It's like become in yeah. a way like kind of a game. To answer your question, yes and no. Like, I think if it's, like, you're in the right mindset, you're in it for the right reasons of the other person, like, that's, like, the type of matching that it needs now. It's, like, do you guys both want the same things? Do you guys – do you both just want to hook up? Do you both actually want to date? Like, that's the new type of swiping that we have to be, like, kind of aware of what we're getting to with, like, Bumble and, like – e-harmony i don't know if that's even a thing anymore like okay cupid that was a fucking nightmare i got like harassed on okay cupid all the fucking time because you like it would say mm-hmm. scene and they'd be like well fuck you why aren't you fucking responding yeah. and it's like mm, this is why but i'm not responding yeah. but you're a monster how has being in like a committed four-year relationship impacted your ability to kind of stand up on stage and talk about sex that poor guy has heard all of my stories to the point that he can like say them from memory you're still sort of drawing on stuff from earlier primarily um yeah right now yeah i mean i do have a story with him first time we had sex i got explosive diarrhea so that's one of my main this is an ongoing theme with you oh yeah. ivs runs in the in my yeah, family yeah, yeah. i actually was like do i have to cancel this because i couldn't <laughs> stop pooping i'm good we're good sorry if this is tmi we don't know each other bathrooms on either side so oh, you just give me a hand signal and <laughs> run for it so far i'm good yeah but um yeah, because the thing about, at least for me, with my, as gross as this sounds, like the process of it all, a lot of times these stories, when they happen, 
it's not funny. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, fuck. Like, what did I just do? Yeah. Or, like, how did I get myself into this? Or, like, how does this person feel about me from that happening? And it takes, like, a little bit of time to process process, and to be able to, like, step away from it to start yeah. to see the funny. One of my first sexual experiences in New York City is actually my first awkward sex story that I ever wrote and told. And the when it happened, I was like, oh, my God, like, this is awful. And now I get to look back and be like, this is hilarious. Like, I don't even know where this person is anymore. Things like that. So, yeah, like, there is one story right now that I'm trying to work on that is it's the only person that's broken my heart. And because of that, and this happened, like, seven years ago, I still haven't been able to write it and make it funny yet. When it's hilarious, it's like this weird texting relationship that we started because we went to high school together but reconnected on Facebook. And he was out in the Midwest while I was in New York. And we ultimately meet in where he lives. And it's awful. Like, we're tense and we're stiff and, like, the sex is bad. And it's, like, I get too drunk on the plane because I'm scared of flying and, like, almost miss, like, my, like, uh, layover. Like, it's hilarious. But I still haven't been able to be, like, find the funny. Like, let go of... Uh, the ultimate heartbreak at the end of the story. Like, you have to learn how to let go. So, like, abstractly, you realize that the elements of comedy are there. Mm-hmm. But emotionally, you're yeah. still, like... It's like your pride's still in it somehow. Because it is. It's so vulnerable yeah. with, like, sex and, like, dating relationships. You have to really, like, be ready to put it all out there. Because the audience can tell when you're not. Like, they mm-hmm. want to know that uh, you're being as honest and truthful of, like, what happened as possible. Is there an implicit understanding upon entering a relationship with you that there's potential that you will, in fact, become fodder for these stories? Oh, 100%. And luckily, like, I've had people in the past that weren't cool with it, and it didn't last. And then, like, my current guy is very cool with it, which I fully appreciate. And that would be my biggest advice uh, for anyone, like, in a career is to find someone that will fully support your dream like no matter what it means like he's like my bartender because i also do this show like in a sex shop and i give free alcohol and he's my bartender like every month so he hears these stories he hears my stories repeatedly he hears other people's stories he literally works for me because he like what i want and sees the potential and to have someone in your back corner like that and a therapist that won't charge you but also (laughs) believes in your comedy career is just like it's like the trifecta it's like places to go to the bathroom Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. These are I all important. Bathroom. I, I can tell you all the public yeah, restrooms yeah, yeah. Yeah. all in this area right now. Yeah, that's it. Nowhere to poo. Have Pepto in your purse. And a partner and a therapist that really will support you. There you go. That was Natalie Wall. You can find her over at Awkward Sex City over on Twitter or at AwkwardSexAndTheCity.com for tour dates and shows in New York City. Thanks so much to her. Thanks to Heidi for helping set up that conversation. Thanks to you guys, Zoe's, for listening to the program. If you like the show, there are a number of ways to support us. You can rate and review us on iTunes, we're on Google Podcasts, on Spotify, and YouTube now. Like us on Facebook. If you have any feedback, it's rlcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Tumblr. That's riylcast.tumblr.com and we are going to be back in a few short days with another episode of RIYL. 